We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Amen. You may have a seat. And at this time, children all the way up to seven years old may be dismissed to Children's Church, to Kid Zone with Mr. Peter Leeper. Great to sing with you, kids. Really nice job. <laughs> I love it. Parents, be sure to ask your kids what they're learning in Kid Zone. Uh, follow up with them. It's a great chance to um, continue to open up those communication lines about the gospel. So, good stuff. Um, one more quick announcement. Um, we have a, a new reading plan available in the back. This is the March reading plan, um, and it follows the scriptures that we are going through as a church. If you're looking to grow in Christ and uh, read the scriptures, um, pick one up and follow along with us. Um, along with that, there's a number of community groups, if you're not a part of one, to uh, join on up with them and to, um, to discuss, meditate, um, apply God's word in your life with other people. We say here that the Christian life doesn't happen in a vacuum, but it's lived out uh, to God and in community. And so um, um, we want the sermon uh, not to just be a monologue of Newman's nice thoughts, but we want it to go and, uh, and reverberate. We want it to go to the pew and we want it to bounce back and forth amongst God's people. And uh, when that happens... Um, change happens, and it's really exciting. Um, if you would, I'm going to ask you um, to just bow your heads. Uh, this is just um, this is just unscripted. Uh, Jessa, would you mind putting up um, that last verse where it says, "I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend," and I'm just just sensing a lot of a lot of folks rushing around. Um, uh, because I'm your pastor, I know that it's been a tough week uh, on a number of you. And sometimes we just forget to pray, don't we? We just forget to go to the Lord. So let's just, let's just spend a little bit of time. Would you identify one time in your life? We just sang about it. That God has been a father and a friend to you. And just say thank you. Just, just, let's, just, let's just have a moment where we say thank you, Lord, for, for doing that in my life. I forgot about that. Thank you. And after that, would you just ask him to open your heart up to God's word this morning? Let's just, let's just pray together.
Lord, the list is long where you have been a father and a friend to us. We just want to remember that and say thank you. Thank you for being faithful in our lives. And uh, I know many of us have been rushing around and um, working with school schedules and tests and jobs and deadlines. And we just ask that you would meet us and um, allow your word to um, go the 18 inches from our head to our hearts and change us from within. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm actually going to ask you to stand one more time in honor of God's word, okay? Would you open up to Romans chapter 7? Romans chapter 7. And I'll be reading uh, verses 7 through 13. This will be our text for today. And it is beautiful. When you read the Bible and explain it, it's almost like the heavens itself opens up and God speaks because he does and he did. So we know that last week we started chapter 7 and we're, we're still in this section of our book called Sanctification, how to grow in Jesus Christ. We know that once you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that you become perfect, but you start on the path of loving Jesus more and progressively growing. And in this chapter, we're labeling it the struggle. We're seeing that our God is not aloof. He's, he's very present and He knows us. And He speaks to real people with real problems. And He doesn't ignore tensions. And so we are in this section that both encourages further desire for God, but also acknowledges that sometimes God's people, they, they still desire to sin. And we as a church want to help you grow in that. So let's read it, and then we'll talk through it and proclaim Jesus. Verse 7, this is the word of the Lord. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Verse 8, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Verse 11, for sin... Season an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That's the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. All right, if you're taking notes this morning, that was a thick passage. So we're going to give it uh, 
give it this title this morning, the, um, the mule and the raccoon. Okay. Now this might be a little strange to you, but I'll just tell you where I'm going. All right. Let me just, let me just walk you through the text a little bit and I'll tell you what I'm thinking. There, as you saw, there are two dominating questions in this text. Verse 7 and verse 13. Let your eyes go there. If you don't have a, a Bible, get it on your uh, smartphone. If you don't have one of those, um, hop on over to the slides. Verse 7 asks the first question, What shall we say then? That the law is sin? And then you look on down to verse 13, and it says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? And both those questions are answered in the same way by no means. And in a way, it sort of divides this portion of our Scriptures today in half. Okay, Two questions. And to help you remember, I am going to use two dominating illustrations of two animals, a mule and a raccoon, that'll describe um, what the question or the essence of the question is, and it'll also describe what we're like. Okay? Um, so the questions are like, is, is the law sin? No. Did the law make me do it? No, you can't blame the law. And then towards the end, after we talk about like two points, two questions, two animals, then we're going to go, well, what then is the law? And I pray that it will be so beautiful by the end of our time that you will just treasure Jesus more than anything. That's where I'm going. You good? Okay, buckle up. Point number one. The mule. The main message, though, of the text, we say the timeless truth. If you're new here and you're not familiar with that language, that's the big idea. Or if, if you're like studied up and like, uh, you know, seminary language, this would be the propositional statement. This is the summary of this text. Um, we're saying that the law reveals the sin at the core and the character of God. I'll read it again. The law. What does it do? What's it for? It reveals sin at our core. And it reveals the character of God. Let's get after it. Point number one, the mule. All right, so Mark Twain. He once said that uh, you know, if a mule thinks that he knows what you want him to do, that he will instinctively do the opposite. Like mules are stubborn. That's why we have the saying, like, stubborn as a mule, right? The mule gets his athletic ability from a horse and his brains from a donkey, right? And um, donkeys are actually pretty smart. And so, like, mules aren't, like, aren't dumb animals. They're, but they, they have this instinct to rebel or this innate desire to when authority is is placed or enacted upon them they want to kick and they want to yaw right they want to they don't they don't want it and and what they're doing in the you know studies show that donkeys and mules like what's going on in their brain is they want to self preserve they want to protect themselves they want to stay safe be safe at all costs and they want to, if you just want to like mule, dash, this is the heart of it, ready? They want to do what they want to do. That's a mule, okay? <laughs> and that's us. 
That's us. I know. That's us. We just want to do what we want to do. We're the mules. Okay? So, question. When the master tells the mule what to do, and the mule resists, is that the master's fault? That's the heart of the first question in verse 7. Right? No, it's not the master's fault. It's, it's the mule's fault. It's our fault. It's our, and I'm going to like make up a word. Maybe it's real, but our mulishness, right? That's, that's us. The sin that is at work within us. It's our, our mule nature, we could say. And this, this nature that, that is at work within us, this sin, it's not something to scoff at or just chuckle about. It's a real force. It's not something to just go like, well, let's just dabble in it and we'll just see what happens. It really destroys. It really wrecks lives. It's really dangerous. Look at me with verse uh, 7. I'll read it for us. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. Now hang with me. Do you see that phrase, seizing an opportunity through the commandment? Go ahead and underline that. Draw a line to it all the way down to verse 7 because it says the same exact, uh, forgive me, verse 11. It says the same exact thing. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, right? So the words here used, seizing an opportunity, Paul uses this picturesque language to describe the strength and power and strategy of sin. It's a term that pictures sin engaging in a military operation. It's like sin is the base camp or the starting point for which an attack is about to be launched. That's what Paul's doing with those words there. You can imagine, maybe you've seen like a good war movie where a general, like down in the basement, the lights are a little dark. He's got all his leaders with him and he goes to this table and he just rolls out this big old map and takes kind of this long pole and moves pieces, kind of like Stratego or the game Risk. You know, he's moving it along and making sure that he's planning the attack. That's what is happening here? Sin is seizing an opportunity to attack. And the scary thing is, is that seizing, that work that's going on, if, if not shepherd taught, preached, you'll receive that and go, yeah, that's something that happens out there. <laughs> but the seizing happens in here. That's what's, that's what's going on. It's at our core. Look at the text. It says, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. What, what does that mean? Right? So it's saying, hey, if there is no law, then you can't break the law. <laughs> Without a commandment, there can be no disobedience. Let me read one commentator. He says this. Without something to rebel against, there can be no rebels. This shouldn't cause bitterness towards God's commandments. Rather, it is aimed at our good. 
So, okay, so so far you've come in here, we've sang some songs, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, we jumped in pretty quick, zero to 60, and I'm like getting a full dose of law. And that's right, we're in it. We're in chapter seven of Romans, and it is changing and shaping each one of us. Last week, we talked a little bit about what the law was. We referenced the Old Testament, God, to Moses, to his people, things like that. And you might, up to this point, still be under the belief or like assumption like, man, it was kind of mean of God to give the law. But I want you to receive this morning that when God gave the law, it was an act of mercy. He wanted to reveal his standard, his character, who he was, what he expected. It was for our good. And we needed to hear about the law because it revealed and reveals uh, our sin and our shame before a holy God. Go to verse 9 with me. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So he's talking about the pagan here, the natural man. Let me say it like this. This is the, the man before Christ who is happy, meaning he has no guilt. He is unaware and his conscience is not pricked at all by sin. You ever met anyone like that? Oh, he's in his sin and he's loving life. He's in his, and he's in the darkness. He doesn't know it. Um, maybe just to illustrate it in a, in a lighter tone, like picture this, okay? So dad steps out his back door, uh, steps out of the back porch, and uh, goes, hey, sweetheart, it's time for soccer practice. And uh, um, she goes, no, dad, I don't want to go to soccer practice. I just want to twirl. Okay? Dads with daughters, anybody out there? I just want to twirl. Translation? just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to go out in the hot sun. I don't want to put on shin guards and cleats and things like that. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to have a coach tell me like to get in line and like, I don't want to be corrected. And like, I don't want to like stand in this. Oh, I just want to be free. That's what verse nine is saying. Like the non-belief, he's just, he's just, I'm just free. I don't want to abide. I don't want to even know the standard of God. And so he's describing pre-conversion as this aliveness, being alive. When the law came, he said he, he died. So let me just speak to you for a second. This is why when some come to Christ, so this is now post-conversion, they are a believer. They experience a beautiful freedom and forgiveness from God. They experience just this, this, this beautiful like weight lifted um, and, and their sins are forgiven. Uh, but then, 
because their eyes have been opened, like the, the blinders have been peeled back, and now they see, now they have an awareness of their sin. Now they experience godly guilt, which is a Christian thing, when they sin, because they have the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And it's really tough. So thanks be to God that when you become a Christian, he gives you the Holy Spirit to help you in your sin and to help you grow and battle in it. And thanks be to God that he gives us other people, the church, to walk with us when we become Christians. And we got all this junk, all this baggage in our life, and we like, I don't know what to do with it. Somebody help me out here. Right? Amen? We've all experienced that. If you are in Christ, I'm like, Phew, man, it was almost easier not knowing. And that's the honesty of God's word this morning. It's beautiful, but it's tough. Christian, young believers need you. They need to be discipled. Go to them. They don't even know the right questions to ask. They're not going to come up to you and say, hey, will you disciple me and go through the chapter breaks of Rome? No. They're not going to do that. Go to them. They need your help. They don't need niceties. They don't need greetings, whatever. They need you to help them struggle in their sin. And not just struggle, fail. Struggle with like the power of the gospel in their lives and find progressive victory in their life. Are you with me? Okay. So, just to recap, point one. Hey, you ever felt like the mule? The stubborn? Like that inclination whenever authority, the, like the commands, the standard, the, the God, God telling you what to do? You kind of want to go, ah, I don't want to do that. You know, you go mule and you kick back. You ever done that? Yeah? Maybe in the margin of your Bible, if... Uh, we were to say, like, you ever felt like the mule? Check yes or no. Which one would you check? Okay. All right. Then you're with me. Okay. Hang in there. Here's point number two. Because hope is coming. The raccoon. Okay. So a little bit about the raccoon. My favorite book growing up, I probably did 10 or 12 book reports on it in middle school and high school, was Where the Red Fern Grows. Great book. Sad, I know. Sad at the end. All right, it's about this boy who lives in Oklahoma, and he he wants dogs. He wants a dog so bad. He just yearns for a dog. So he saves up his money, and he goes to Tahlequah, Oklahoma, and he buys two red-bone coonhounds, right? Which is why, actually, I have a red-bone coonhound. Okay. I just love this book. I love this book. He goes there. And coon hounds love to hunt raccoons, okay? How do you train a coon hound, asks this little boy, okay, when you don't have, a, like, coon skins? Like, how do you do that? And so, so like, you got to have dogs in order to get your coons. And so I'm sure prior to coming in, like, you drove, you parked here, and you're like, I wonder how to get raccoons without coon dogs. You were asking that, weren't you? I would like to answer that question for you. I would like to provide that. Okay, so here's how you get a coon skin, okay, prior to getting coon dogs. 
Okay. And you can always borrow my dog. All right. I don't know. Visitors, I don't always bring up my dog. This is just the second week it arrived. Okay. So you got to trap them. You got to trap the raccoon. And back in the olden days, they didn't have like these metal cages that you buy at Lowe's or Home Depot. So here's how you trap a raccoon. You hollow out a big old log. Okay. With a hatchet. And you put something shiny in the bottom of it. And this is not my knowledge. This is from the book, okay? And then you get two thin pieces of wood, and you nail it across the log, okay? And you cover the rest of it so that the only opening to the shiny piece is through the two pieces of wood. Now, the distance between the wood is really important, okay? Because it's got to be wide enough so that a raccoon can fit his hand through it, but it's got to be narrow enough so that when he grabs the shiny thing, he can't get it out because the fist can't get up through it. Are you with me? So the strategy is put the shiny thing in, two pieces of wood, go to bed. Raccoons come out at night. They see the shiny thing glimmering in the moon and they reach on down and they love it. They admit, oh, shiny thing in the piece of woods. I must have it. They reach on down with their hand flat. They grab it, and then you got him. Because the raccoon, you would think he would weigh his options and go, well, either I hold on to this shiny piece, and I'm stuck here in this log forever, or I just let it go and leave. But they don't have reasoning like humans. They just want the shiny and so they hold on to it. And then you wake up the next morning, you hear them, and then this gets a little gruesome, but you get out a big stick and just whack them on the head, and you got a coonskin. Okay? That's the end of the story. Okay? Um, personal story, just personal, like, side note. I got a little bit of time. When, after I read that book when I was a kid, <laughs> my older brother just reminded me of this recently. I would walk around the house moping, and I would go like this. Want a dog? Need a dog? Want a dog? Need a dog? And then the Lord answered my prayer in fourth grade, and a friend gave us his dog when he was moving. So I got a dog. It wasn't a redbone coonhound. Now, back to the text. Verse 13. Okay? All right. Hold that. The, the heart of the raccoon. Wanting the treasure. Holding on to it. Unwilling to let it go. Let's let that text guide us and let, let, let that illustration um, be, be like in, present in our mind. Ready? In verse 13, he's asking us, is it the shiny thing on the bottom of the log? Is it the shiny thing's fault? Is that what brought death to the raccoon? And you would go, no. No. It's because he wanted it. It was within the raccoon. Or another way to say it is that, that it was his very desire or his heart's affections for the shiny thing above and beyond his very life. And for us, it is not the law's fault. There I am landing the plane. It's not the law's fault. It's our own sinful desires. Do you got that? So was, was it the law? No, it was us. But what about the law? What does the law do? What does it reveal? What is it? And what does the law 
push us towards. All right, this is when it gets really good. Verse 12. So the law is... So we finally get a positive. No, it's not that. No, it doesn't do that. Oh, watch this. Is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Let's start at that verse. Let's work ourselves backwards, okay? Let's start with good. He says it's good. The law is good because God is good. And he's good because he revealed the standard of righteousness to us. Just the act itself, and I've said this already, was drawing near to us, not distancing himself from us. In that way, he was good and merciful. It says the law is righteous. And that's because God wanted us to know the difference between right and wrong. It was really important for him. And therefore, the law is righteous in that it reveals. David said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation both day and night. He loved it. He cherished it because it guided him with discernment. What is right and what is wrong? And then he says, it's holy. It's holy because the law reflects the very character of God. This is echoed all throughout the Bible, all throughout Scripture. And I tell you, one of my favorite stories of, of a man who saw the very holiness of God, it's in Isaiah chapter 6. You don't have to go there. But we enter with Isaiah, the very throne room of God, and he's so like picturesque. He describes it with great detail. Isaiah chapter 6, he says that before the throne of God, that, that there are seraphim and seraphim and cherubim. Remember that song, Holy, Holy? Right? And he uses this language. He calls them like burning spirits. Like these burning flames. I can't even describe it. And so I'll just use those words, he says. That's what cherubim and seraphim mean. And they, the angels, are shouting at each other and to God. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's like their song and their shout, like their battle cry. In Hebrew, it's kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And in the original manuscripts, there's, it says kadosh, dash, kadosh, dash. There's two dashes in there. Why? So that the reader would not go like this. This is how we often sing it sometimes. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Oh, whatever. He's holy. Dash. For the reader to read it slowly, reverently, with fear. Like this. Holy. Holy. You can imagine Isaiah. That was his face. I'm sure of it. Holy. Not casual at all. What was Isaiah's reaction when he saw the holiness of God? Woe is me, for I'm ruined. He was like, 
this would be modern day language. I'm not that. Because holiness is supremely a being who is set apart. And, and I don't match up with that. And so therefore, my inadequacies, sin, like iniquities, it all comes to bear, to the surface, to fruition. Woe is me. Can I tell you of another man that saw the holiness of God in the Scriptures? But his reaction, his response, was just a little bit different. This man, he, he declared about this particular being that he was the God-man. The one who, on behalf of humanity, would be our righteousness. He would be our substitute. He would be the one that would come and not just ignore us or be separate from us. He would draw near and take on flesh so that He would take care of, deal with, receive, and bear our mulishness and our raccoon-like tendencies. You know who it was? John the Baptist. When he saw the holiness of God, when he saw Him, when he saw Him coming, what were the first things in his mind? You guys remember this? He goes, Behold, not what was me. Behold the Lamb of God. Who what? Who takes away the sins of the world. He saw it all. And it all came together for Him. And that is our Jesus. That's our God. That's who Christ is. And friends, this is why you must look to Jesus. If you are not a Christian, and you today maybe have, have seen that God is holy and man is not. And you need holiness to bridge the gap. You need righteousness to come down. You need to know that that happened in the person of Jesus. And he offers, he grants righteousness to you, to those who believe. You must believe. You must repent of your sins and believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And you will become a Christian like today, it could happen. It's not something that is theoretical. God saves in the here and now. If you don't believe, you must. And if you already believe, this is also too why you must look to Jesus to live and to fulfill the commandments of God in your life. You can't do it on your own. You must need an alien righteousness. We said that last week in the person and work of Jesus Christ to come to not just forgive, but to implant, to give you righteousness so that you would live. That's the message of Romans. And it's here again in the text. And you want to hear the beautiful thing? This is applying verse 12 to you today. That since the law is good and righteous and holy, and, ready, here's the jump, and since Jesus was good and righteous and holy, and since He lived a good and righteous life, and since He promises the believer Himself, therefore, 
you can pursue goodness and righteousness and holiness. There it is. You can do it. Not in of your own strength. You can do it because of Christ who is at work in you. We can have that confidence. We can say, as the old hymn says, we can stand on that promise. You've got to do it. It will bring you life and peace to look to Jesus Christ. And to help us today, Jesus has said, I want you to remember me, my person, my work. And because I'm sending my spirit, it'll actually be better. But I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And he gave us the bread and the cup, symbolizing his body and his blood that were broken for us. He said, I want you to remember me in this so that it will be your very lifeline as you live. To help guide and shape our prayers to God this morning, I'm going to leave you with three things as you prepare your heart for communion. Number one, and this, this is a different tone. If you hung out with me and we maybe played a game recently or whatever, we laughed. But, but God requires the man to proclaim behind the pulpit all of, all of his attributes, his character, and to match his tone. And so this is, this is a unique tone that the preacher must have. Ready? Number one, you must repent. You must. You must repent. If today you have even seen the Holy Spirit surface mule-like attitudes or tendencies in your heart. If you, like the, like the raccoon, have like wanted to blame the shiny thing, or you've just like pursued the shiny things in your life, whatever sparkles, whatever is, and you just like, they call it idolatry in the Bible. If you have pursued anything else besides the living and holy God, then you must turn from that way by his grace and mercy. You can experience forgiveness today from that. You must agree, confess that it is sin, and, and say, Lord, I repent. So we're teaching people how to walk with Jesus, and that is an absolute necessity in the Christian life. So I hope you hear my heart. It's not fire and brimstone, but it is an act of mercy on God's behalf. To, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Number one, you must repent. Number two, be encouraged if your sin surfaces quicker in your life. And here's what I mean. As you grow in holiness, um, I, I, I've heard it said, I've said it for a long time. I don't even know who at the end of the day said it for the first time. But as you grow in holiness, you will sin less. You won't be sinless, but you will sin less and your sin will stink more. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I mean, how many of you have, have you, uh, watched a movie that you haven't seen in 10 years? And you even recommended it to a buddy, and you put it on, and you're like, with your kids, and you're like, oh, I had no idea this movie was so trashy, right? It could be that you're just forgetful, right? But also it could be that you've grown in holiness, and you're more aware of 
things that are distasteful towards God. Be encouraged that sin, if sin surfaces quicker, you're in a safe place. You got it? So be encouraged. And if sin surfaces in you during communion prior to it, be encouraged. Like, yes, thank you. Don't feel defeated. Like declare, thank you, God, for your kindness and mercy. And number three, continue to grow in holiness. So by knowing God's righteous law and his commandments, you may and can grow in holiness. Friends, brothers and sisters, be in God's law this week. What does that mean? You must read the scriptures, memorize it, meditate it, drink it like cold water on a hot day and let it just wash you. Be in the word. Seek to obey it by the power of the Spirit because that same power that is at work in you is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So you must repent, be encouraged, and continue to grow. And as you pray and prepare to take the Lord's Supper, ask Him, Lord, where are you leading me, guiding me? How can I grow in holiness this week? We would ask that you are, if you're not a believer this morning, that you would watch a silent sermon as, uh, as the church, the people of God, celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's not in any way a mean thing, but that's an honor of God's word. I hope that if you're not a believer, you would at least just trust me that it's not a, of my own opinions or ideas, but we're trying to follow God's law, his standard that he's set before us. doesn't mean we're perfect, but we're pursuing Jesus. And so if you're not a believer, um, uh, as your mom and dad or as someone else comes up, you watch and, and, and allow it to minister to you. Allow your questions to be raised. I remember when I was a child and communion was one of the first agents in my life to share the gospel because my older brother passed the plate over me because I wasn't a Christian. And it was the first time I realized he has something I don't. So don't be ashamed. Look to Jesus. So Father, we do that right now. We look to your son, Jesus. We remember his body and his blood. We remember it was broken for us and poured out. And without it, we can have no forgiveness of sins. And so we thank you that you can refresh us and renew us and restore our very souls, the psalm says. Would you now minister to your people? Would you take that which was said and preached and written in your word and let it jump off the page and let it dive deeply into the hearts of people that they may love and walk and cherish and enjoy you forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray.